Welcome to Clear Thinking, a GPS for the Christian mind, teaching you how to think, not just what to think. This is Joe Aguirre with theologian and philosopher Kenneth Samples and physicist Dave Rogstad. On today's podcast, Are Human Beings Exceptional? Ken will explore more differences on this episode, part two of two. And Ken, maybe a good recap will be in order before you proceed with some more points. Yes, uh, I mentioned in our previous program that Reasons to Believe had a workshop where we debated the question whether humans are exceptional creatures, whether humans differ from the animals merely in degree, or whether there is a a difference in kind. Uh, So there were uh, presentations given by uh, Christians who are scientists, Christians who are philosophers, Christians who are theologians, but we also had uh, two secularists come in uh, who were scientists, and they presented a, a case for humans differing only in degree. Uh, so that will ultimately be made available to the public. Uh, we had we took questions from the audience that was here on the RTB premises, but we also uh, streamed it so so people could ask questions. So that. That will be coming, and I think it will be very illuminating. I, I think maybe just a little bit of repeat here, Joe, in terms of Mortimer Adler. He uh, was a philosopher and an educator. Uh, he has a, an article that is available online. It's from the Mortimer J. Adler archive. The title of the article is The Confusion of the Animalists. Uh, And the content, of course, comes from a book that he wrote, The Difference of Man and the Difference It Makes. But here's how Adler said uh, humans and animals differ. He said the problem of how humans differ from the animals in degree or in kind, it's not a purely philosophical problem, nor is it a purely scientific problem. He says it is a mixed problem with both scientific and philosophical the solution to which requires knowledge of relevant scientific evidence and also philosophical competence in the interpretation of the evidence. I think it would be fair to say that Adler later in life as a Christian would also say that that integration would also involve theology. What has God revealed? And what I think is interesting is if we look at the scriptures Uh, Since humans are made from the dust of the ground, and so are animals, yet the difference, the breath of life, Genesis 2-7, I think a biblical point of view would be in some ways, the differences would be a matter of degree. Uh, And let let me give Adler's definition. He says, men and other animals differ in degree if both possess the same trait, but one possesses more of it the other less. I think there are going to be ways in which animals and humans, it is merely of degrees. Uh, Chimpanzees, for example, more than 90% of their raw uh, DNA is similar to human beings. We eat the same same things, right? Uh, So there's no doubt there are uh, similarities. But then Adler says, men and other animals differ in kind if men either have certain powers or perform certain acts that are not present uh, in the animals in the slightest degree. Now, Adler thinks that human beings have conceptual thought, 
whereas he thinks that animals have perceptual thought. Now, what, what's the difference? He says human beings have conceptual thought, and he, that's the ability to analyze hypothetical situations or abstract concepts to compile insight. So it's kind of engaging with the abstract. Perceptual thought is the ability to deal thoughtfully with perceptual objects. Now, again, that that's very complicated in, in terms of what uh, a mind can and cannot do. But in our first program, I tried to point out that I think three ways in which humans differ is in our inherent spiritual and religious nature. Um, secondly, that human beings possess unique intellectual, cultural, and communicative abilities. Uh, here I'm talking about symbolism and, and language. And think about that for a moment. Uh, Adler makes this point. He says, look, um, symbolism, where you uh, take letters and blend them to have sounds that then convey uh, and correspond to objects, either concrete or abstract, you know, language. Um, he says that's an extraordinary ability, but he says, uh, you know, a, a good second grader has it down pretty well. Now, maybe that was more true of Adler's age than it is in our age, or depending on what school you went to, uh, parochial or uh, public school. But it is amazing that human beings are able to read, we're able to write, we're able to speak, we're able to listen. Uh, at the workshop, one of the, one of the secular scientists says, well, look, chimpanzees, they can learn words. They seem to be teachable. Of course, the question I have is, well, who was teaching them? Uh, humans can teach other children. Humans can teach chimpanzees. Do chimpanzees teach other animals? Um, you know, so those are some of the questions. And then a third one we talked about, guys, was human beings are conscious of time, reality, and truth. So that that's a summary of what we looked at in the first program. By the way, this idea of animals teaching animals, uh, at least in the uh, films that you see on TV about animals, they always make a big deal about how the mother is teaching the children, the baby baby bears say as being taught by the mother bear how to hunt and how to fish and how to, you know, climb the tree or whatever it is. They always make that point. They, they certainly do. And, and, and again, I think it's fair to say that this is a challenging topic. I mean, what goes in the, in the mind of an animal? And what about these animals that seem to be have very high intellectual qualities, you know, uh, the apes, uh, dolphins, elephants, you know, what do they know? Uh, what do they experience? And, and I, think, I think it's true that they have their capacities that are superior. Uh, no human being can run as fast as some of the animals. Uh, the animals uh, have skills that, that are their eyesight, their sense of smell is superior to human beings. Um, but I think from a biblical point of view, that can be, that can be explained. And, and ultimately, what we're asking here is, 
which worldview has the best explanatory power and scope? Um, I think the Bible has real, real explanatory power. I think it's able to tell us that some of the differences are going to be merely in degree, but we should also expect to find exceptionalism or a difference in kind. And if we don't, then maybe the naturalists have a better worldview. But I, I think that we do. And this leads me to, to add a fourth point, uh, again, arguing that human beings are unique, that they're distinct. Uh, I'm willing to use the word exceptional. Uh, and I think that relates again to the image of God, that human beings possess a conscience, identify a value system, and legislate moral laws for society. So again, I'm back to Adler, these powers and acts. It's not just that we have capacities, but we carry them out. The hum we, we talk about humans being a political animal. You know, well, we legislate morality. We, we enforce it. So I'm going to argue here that people, human beings, we have an inner sense of moral right and wrong. We have a conscience. We deliberate about moral choices. Uh, we feel the prescriptive moral obligations, and we try to conform our life to this system. Um, C.S. Lewis said that God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Well, I've heard God's voice in all three areas. When I, when I engage in sinful behavior, I hear his voice. Um, when I experience the world, I realize this is an incredible world. Uh, and when I suffer, I, I experience the sense and awareness of that. Uh, now, again, some scientists, secular scientists would say, well, animals have empathy. Animals have an, an awareness of guilt. But it's just lower. It's less developed. I'm not... I'm not sure that I am willing to buy that. I, I think that the moral element um, here is, is very important. And so uh, I think the idea that we legislate morality, I think the idea that, you know, it's, it's not just that we develop moral rules, but we, we say you ought to do this and you should do this or you ought not to do that. Uh, Alvin Plantica says, quote, it is extremely difficult to be a normal human being and not think that some actions are wrong and some are right. We have a value system. Now, now again, and, and here's an example that I'm gonna use. Animals are certainly capable of doing good, that is even heroic acts, but they're not capable of of more, making moral reflective judgments. For example, a dog can sniff out a cancer or save its master from a burning house or guide soldiers through dangerous obstacles during combat, but it cannot debate the merits of risking its life to save another. You know, I, when I came home, I had a new appreciation for Lucy and Gracie. I thought, hey, I'm, I'm sorry if I, if I dissed you. Um, there, maybe there's more going on in that mind than I thought. And, you know, um, by the way, I'm a cat person who has uh, grown 
uh, in my awareness. And now I consider myself a, a cat and dog person. And there were jokes made about, you know, will will dogs go to hell or is that only true of cats? Um, well, look, um, I, I like to say that, you know, dogs chase cats, but not, they don't chase tigers. Um, <laughs> not in that neighborhood, they don't. Uh, and, you know, these, these animals are amazing. I, I encourage you to go on uh, the web and uh, look up the, um, there's a particular breed of cat um, that went into the river. I think this was, you know, uh, in Africa somewhere. And this big cat went into the river and grabbed a, a caiman uh, right, right in the head and pulled it out of the water and ran up a, a, a steep slope. And I was thinking, uh, man, that cat is amazing. I mean, cats are not supposed to go into the river and grab a caiman and pull them out. But this big cat, it, you know, it, it was able to do it. Um, so there's no doubt that there are qualities in care. I wish I could do that. I wish I could dive in there and grab a caiman and pull it out, but uh, that's not going to happen. But I think from a biblical point of view, the idea of having a conscience, identifying a value system, yeah, animals might feel shamed, but do, do they have a prescriptive morality? Uh, again, dogs... You know, amazing thing. Sometimes people have dogs as their comfort dogs. Animals have unique intuition, but can they reflect about these things? So guys, I think that's number four, uh, that human beings possess a conscience, identify a value system, legislate moral laws for society. I think that's one of the things that makes them unique, uh, that makes them uh, exceptional. It seems like a, kind of a model here. I know Hugh, for instance, calls attention to the, at least some of the higher animals he speaks of as being nefesh, being, uh, I think the word would be translated, soulish animals. Yes. So they have some of the characteristics, uh, the, some of the raw material, you might say. But the model would be that what made the difference was the breath of God that came into the human being yeah. And that breath of God brought forth certain characteristics that may be there in some primitive form, but not in a, in a form that would result in all of the things that make human beings exceptional. Does that make any sense? It certainly does. I, I think that that's the case. I think that uh, we could clearly accept the idea that there are certain animals that are much more capable uh, than others. And uh, in their creation, they may have a soulishness that is similar or um, uh, gives them the capacity to do things that are similar to what humans, but that, again, that image of God, the breath of life, right. uh, seems to be the point. Now, here's the fifth point I want to make. Human beings are uniquely inventive and technological. Okay. Um, for example, uh, technological advancement in the 20th century is, in my mind, breathtaking. You know, you move from the um, World War I with its trench warfare 
to World War II with the Blitzkrieg, the atomic bomb, then to the Cold War, the intercontinental ballistic missiles, now stealth aircraft, smart bombs, unmanned vehicles, and even more up to date, uh, artificial intelligence. It seems like this is a, an amazing uh, development of technology. And here again, I'd like to quote Mortimer Adler. He says, to say, for example, that only men make things or that only men make tools is false. For beavers make dams, spiders make webs. So I guess spiders are web designers. Mm. Um, I'm equivocating for purposes of humor there. <laughs> Birds make nests, the apes make tools. However, the following more precise statements are true and are so regarded by leading anthropologists. He says, only men fashion tools, not for immediate use, but for future action in remote, but foreseeable uh, contingencies. Other so-called tool-making animals improvise instruments uh, that they immediately employ in the same perceptual context, which led to the improvisation. Then he says this, only men, machinofacture, his word, products as well as manufacture them, that is, produce things first by making blueprints that incorporate the spe specifications of the product to be made, and then by creating dyes for the reproduction of this specified items out of plastic materials. Adler says, no other animal machinofactures to any degree. And, and again, I brought this up at the workshop. I said, yeah, I, I think it's amazing when animals, let, let's again say apes, uh, bipedal primates, they use tools in combination. I mean, that's pretty impressive. But what about human beings developing science? I, Dave, maybe this shows that I'm a philosophy nerd and not well acquainted with science, but I was watching National Geographic and uh, some of the scientists were in the ocean and they were tracking uh, the travel of various sharks. And they put little things on, their, uh, on the end of their tail so they could identify them and, and track them because they were concerned that, you know, certain shark species were going potentially extinct. And I immediately thought to myself, well, isn't that an expression of the Imago Dei? I mean, generally people think of the image of God as, uh, and, and by the way, none of us know exactly what it means to be made in the image of God, but we have some theories. One of them is what we call the substantive view or the resemblance view, which means that we have qualities or characteristics that, are, that resemble God, maybe our rationality, our morality, our spirituality. Other people say, well, maybe, maybe the image of God in man is relational qualities, like the Trinity. We're able to relate and associate with others. And then thirdly, what is called the functional view or the representative view, we can represent God. We can be caretakers. Uh, you know, we can care for creation. And I, I thought to myself when I was watching these scientists, well, that's only something human beings do. 
-hmm. Only human beings are caretakers over nature. And I wonder, doesn't the scientists see that? I mean, isn't that a difference in degree? Um, I think I think that it is. Now, um, this, this by the way, by the way, human beings share some of the characteristics of God, and some of them, as a result, think that they're God. Well, that's uh, that's right, uh, Dave. It's always good to to have a friend like you who doesn't equivocate. You just get it right right across. <laughs> Well, you know, obviously technology is is a very important issue. Uh, Fuzz Rana and I contributed a book called Humans 2.0, where we talked about transhumanism. And, you know, uh, you have these enhancement technologies. I mean, when humans couldn't see as clearly, they developed glasses. Um, and now there is the possibility that enhancements can extend your life. Uh, they can improve the quality of your life, uh, medicine, uh, technological elements. Uh, Fuzrana, my colleague and the uh, president of Reasons to Believe, and he and I have worked together uh, with Joe and Dave and uh, the folks here for more than 20 years. Fuzz takes the position that that transhumanism and these ideas uh, of enhanced technologies, that that's consistent with human exceptionalism. Um, I mean, how much intellectual firepower has to go into creating artificial intelligence? It didn't just appear from nowhere. And, you know, so this idea of tool making, again, I, I'm very impressed with uh, the really smart animals. I, I guess you have smartphones, maybe you have smart animals. Uh, maybe you can have smart human beings too. Uh, but I, I think when you look at you look at things like creating something or mass producing something, uh, that's that seems to me to be a category difference. Yeah, and yeah. and especially when it comes to things like developing a philosophical worldview system developing the natural sciences or using mathematics as the language of the universe. Um, that, that seems to be a difference in kind from my point of view. Yeah. Uh, Ken, a, a question on, on this fifth point here, um, where human beings are uniquely inventive and technological. It seems to me that the very consideration of this issue of uh, whether human beings are different in kind or degree requires that uh, we study uh, the, cre the creative realm. And I know that's your next point, but I couldn't help myself. That is, you might ask the, the person on the other side, uh, how is it that we know so much about animals? Uh, we've devised technologies to study them. I mean, there have been field studies for a long, long time, but now with technology, as you mentioned, Ken, you can put a tracking device on, a, on an animal, then you have that boat that we had to make to follow it, then you get these cameras sometimes uh, in tiny little holes, you know, so you can study a burrowing animal or even an insect or get a camera at the bottom of a lake or, you know, these cameras in wildlife corridors so you can see these rare animals pass through. 
all of that. We, we've made all those so that we can learn about the created realm. Are they doing the same to us? <laughs> well, I, I think that's a powerful point, Joe. I would even say that even the consideration of whether animals differ merely in degree or in kind shows that we differ in kind. Mm. Uh, even that consideration, and obviously, um, you know, the Bible talks about that humans are the vice regents that we can, you know, we can take dominion over nature. I mean, that's right out of the book of Genesis. Uh, I think that's a. I think that's exactly right, and that that's a good lead to my sixth point. Human beings possess an intense curiosity to explore and understand the entire created realm. I though I owe this point, by the way, to Hugh Ross. Um, human beings they seek out the most desolate and dangerous places on Earth. Uh, animals certainly explore immediate habitats, uh, but their investigations appear to be uh, related more to their survival or, or enhancing their fun. Uh, so animals certainly play with things, uh, and, and birds are aware of star patterns, uh, their migration. Um, but human beings explore, and they want to understand the, the ultimate issues, um, you know, humans want to understand what, what is real, what is behind ultimate reality. Uh, Stephen Hawking, the uh, great scientist who happened to be secular, uh, he said that, uh, quote, he won't be satisfied until he would know the mind of God. Well, I don't know that he meant Yahweh Elohim there, but I, I think it is a very powerful thing that human beings ask questions like, um, you know, uh, dark matter and dark energy. I mean, that puzzles me. Wow. Uh, quantum mechanics. Um, it, it seems to me that that engagement with, with science, that engagement with mathematics, that capacity to think about logical issues, um, you know, that that exploration seems to be a category difference, that, that human beings are made in such a way to, to seek ultimate answers. I mean, even the idea of, of Plato's cave, you know, this allegory of human beings uh, who live underground, yet they think that what they're seeing is real. And there is a... a a whole world outside of that delusion. I mean, our capacity to give considerations to those things. Uh, you know, we think, okay, I, I, I see the world, but is that the way the world really is? Are there things uh, fogging my, my thinking, uh, getting in the way of my capacity to, to see and understand? I think those those philosophical categories are are intuitive. And so again, I want to say, I think this, I think one of the points that was made at our, at our workshop that I really agree with, and that is that we want to take an integrative approach. This isn't just a philosophical question. It is not just a scientific question. It's not just a theological question. It's all of them. We want to be able to work them together. So I think this idea 
again, human beings possess an intense curiosity to explore and to understand the entire created realm. I mean, some of us are more curious than others, but after all, it, it is human beings that develop the natural sciences. It is human beings that have developed um, technology that's taken us to the moon, technology that's taking us uh, you know, to create these telescopes that give us images in galaxies far away, uh, that's not a small thing. Uh, in my mind, it's not a small thing. Okay, number seven. This is my seventh and final one. Human beings possess aesthetic taste and appreciation for more than just practical purposes. So human beings they distinctly create and they recognize and they appreciate beauty. You know, I know some people who don't believe in God. They say they don't. Uh, they wouldn't come to church with me. But if I invite them to go to an art museum, they're all over it. Um, you know, beauty is a very important part of our life. Art, um, all of these elements are important. Music. I mean, who doesn't like in some way artistic form, whether it's uh, music or art, whether it's nature or whether it's the creation of, of beautiful paintings, whatever it may be. Uh, so we have an aesthetic taste and a value to, ex to uh, extend to art, music, film, literature, all of these particular areas. And uh, we're moved by these things. We find them mysterious. We find them beautiful. Uh, you know, some people risk their life. They literally risk their life to, to travel up some of these backpacking areas. Uh, they put themselves in danger because they, they uh, now I don't think that's very logical. I don't think that's very reasonable or cautious, but all of us know that some of the things in our world that are the most beautiful are also the most dangerous. Um, I, again, I think this gives us a, an, an anthropological uh, picture of human beings uh, that we care very much about the aesthetic elements. Now, what I would say is uh, the creative capacities of animals uh, seem to be of a lower order uh, they seem to be more driven by practical necessity uh, than what we find here. And I would say, I think that we can put some of these ideas to the test. Um, you know, does a worldview have explanatory power? Does it have uh, scope? I think the capacity to think of human beings as being different, both in degree and kind, I think it does carry a lot of uh, explanatory power and scope. Uh, and I, I go back to Blaise Pascal in his Pensees. Uh, this is not a complete book. It was a, a group of outline, outlined ideas and summaries that uh, he, was, he was going to write it, develop it into a manuscript, but he passed away at 39 of something like stomach cancer. But these are his notes. And in the Pensees, he says human beings are unique in that we are 
we are both great and wretched. Uh, there's a difference in kind, exceptionalism, uh, that's due to the image of God, but there, we're also wretched, we're also fallen. So human beings are able to use their greatness uh, to influence uh, and, and harm themselves and harms other, others. Pascal says, quote, human beings are the, quote, glory and refuse of the universe. Well, here's a quotation from uh, Tom Morris, who wrote a book about Pascal, uh, making sense of it all. Uh, Tom Morris uh, served for a long time at Notre Dame as a Christian philosopher. He says this, one of the greatest mysteries is in us. How is the naked ape capable of grasping the mathematical structure of nature? How can one species produce both unspeakable wickedness and nearly inexplicable goodness? How can we be responsible both for the most disgusting squalor and for the most breathtaking beauty? How can grand aspirations and self-destructive impulses, kindness and cruelty, be interwoven in one life? The human enigma cries out for an explanation. Pascal believed that only the tenets of the Christian faith can adequately account for both the greatness and wretchedness of humanity. And he was convinced that this in itself is an important piece of evidence that Christianity embraces truth, close quote. I think that's powerfully stated. Um, we're different from the animals in our goodness. We're different than the animals in our wretchedness. Um, mm. And I, I think that uh, if, if the Bible has a viable anthropology, I think that's good reason to think that it's true. So some ways animals differ merely in degree, but the Bible anticipates that. But I think it also says that we differ in kind. And again, I go back to the, um, the breath of life and uh, all of those uh, elements. That's my case uh, kind of summarized. Uh, what do you guys think about uh, those those points? Where where do you think um, we need to spend our time and kind of emphasizing? Oh, good stuff. Uh, I, I I appreciate your final comment about uh, having been created uh, by God. Uh, you you might mention because I think you did earlier. Um, a little bit about the Imago Dei, the image of God, and what it, what is meant by that for people who may not be entirely familiar. Yeah, I I, I think it's helpful to to underscore that um, the image of God is critical. Now, again, the Bible doesn't explicitly tell us what the image of God is, and so theologians and philosophers have speculated and. Um, some would say, for example, we resemble God. This is often spoken of as the substantive view that we, we have uh, substantive qualities. Uh, Aristotle said we're a rational animal. Uh, we seem to be a moral animal, we, a spiritual animal, if you will. So the, 
we would have qualities that are similar to God, though only finitely. God has a mind. God is rational. Uh, God has moral qualities. God is an infinite spirit. Uh, others would, would emphasize maybe, maybe it's best to think of the image of God in terms of relational qualities. Um, and of course, I love that, the Trinity. Um, God, there is within God's unity a diversity of persons. Um, that's the reason Augustine said the triune God is a God of love. It is like and unlike a, a loving human family. Um, I like to point out to my Jewish and, and Islamic friends that their Unitarian view doesn't seem to allow for God to, to give and take love or ground love. Uh, then, of course, uh, others say, well, maybe it's better to think of the image of God in a functional way where we are representatives of God, where his vice regents and of course, the way we kind of approach it at Reasons to Believe is we kind of bring them together, the resemblance, the relational, um, the representative view. And again, these go by sometimes different terms, but because we, because we resemble God, we're able to relate. Because we resemble God, we're able to represent. And, and of course, I come back to a very fundamental issue if people are not made in the image of God, what give? Where do they derive inherent dignity and value? Um, you know, many of the abolitionists uh, said we need to stop slavery uh, because people are made in the image of God. Now, of course, it's also true that some tried to justify their. Uh, prejudice, uh, their slavery views in light of scripture. Um, I think they, they misinterpreted uh, scripture. But, you know, let's, let's think about the worldview differences. L let's suppose there's no God. There's no mind behind the universe. The world is, is just kind of a, uh, uh, a, a lucky uh, experiment. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's reducible to material and physical causes. Nature is all there is. Well, why, why are human beings unique? If, if we are just an extension of evolution and nothing more, uh, you know, it's, it's one thing to say that certain things are right and certain things are wrong. It's another thing to say, because based upon what? What's your justification? How do you ground the uniqueness of human beings? Now, again, Peter Singer says, um, to say human beings are special is, is, is speciesism, which is similar to racism, which is similar to sexism. Um, and, this this seems to be something that many people have accepted, but if that's the case, uh, we've reduced human beings uh, merely to the place of an animal. Uh, so these are these are relevant things. You don't have to be a philosopher or a theologian or a scientist to be interested in these these ideas. They're very relevant today. Mm -hmm. yeah. Does Peter Singer believe that it's okay to abort children? 
Uh, Peter Singer has said that he believes that uh, because infants are not self-aware and other animals, farm animals are, that those animals should have rights that humans don't have. And he has suggested that maybe human beings should, parents ought to have up to two years to decide whether they want to euthanize their child. Mm. Now, now, I find that shocking. I find that utterly repulsive. But I would say I, I think he's trying, if I'm to give him the benefit of the doubt, to live according to his naturalistic worldview. I think you have to have a reason why you protect the unborn. And the Christian position is this. Um, human beings have a personal nature. So the unborn human it's not uh, a it's it's not something developing toward personhood. It is a person by its very nature, and it's a person in development rather than developing toward personhood. Uh, there are lots of people, um, you know, when you're un unconscious, uh, you're not self-aware. When you suffer illness at times, you're not self-aware. Um, but you see, from a Christian point of view, we believe we have a nature. We have been created in a particular way that uh, we're human persons undergoing development. So that would be our, our worldview. I think even in my time of studying philosophy and theology, it used to be people argued that the infant was not human. They don't reason that way typically anymore. They believe it's human. It's just not a person. But again, the anticipation is human beings are human persons. Uh, even when they know it or don't know it, they are still persons because that's the way they're made. Mm. And I think without it, I mean, I know there are many secular people today who believe in objective morality and believe in the dignity and value of human beings. And there are even secular people who are pro-life. But I raise the question, if you're a naturalist, if nature is all there is, if evolution has coughed us up, so to speak, I don't know that you can reasonably justify objective morality. Uh, so, this, again, is something I think is, is very important. Uh, we're not the only creatures to inhabit this planet. Mm -hmm. And um, I think we should be very responsible about the way we approach. And, and I, I think the reason that human beings care for uh, the natural world, because that's what God intended. He made us to be caretakers. And we alone are, are able to do that. Great stuff. Thank you for that, Ken. Um, you mentioned your book on the last podcast, uh, a couple of books where you've written about this. Uh, tell us again what those are. Yes, I have a, a discussion of this very thing. I make the seven points and develop them uh, in chapter 12 of my book, Seven Truths That Changed the World. Uh, very similar format is found in chapter 10 of A World of Difference, where I talk about uh, a biblical perspective on, on human beings. I would also bring up a couple other books. Uh, Mortimer Adler, uh, 
wrote a book a number of years ago entitled uh, The Difference of Man and the Difference It Makes. I would also bring up uh, Who, Was, Who is Adam by Hugh Ross and Fuzz Rana. Uh, and by the way, um, our scientists here at Reasons to Believe written a lot of blog articles about human exceptionalism. Uh, if you want to look at some of the contrary perspectives, read Peter Singer. Um, uh, you, can, you can type in, are humans exceptional? And there'll be plenty of articles by scientists and philosophers who take different points of view. All right, great stuff. Thank you again. Uh, let us know what you think. Uh, you can reach out to Ken via Twitter, and that's at RTB underscore case samples. And we'll be glad to read your comment or field your question. Get clear thinking sent to your device by subscribing to the Reasons to Believe podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and most podcast services. For Ken Samples and Dave Rogstad, this is Joe Aguirre with a reminder that the goal of apologetics is not victory, but truth. Thanks for listening and join us for the next edition of Clear Thinking. Thank you for listening. Your prayers and financial support are reaching people with reasons for faith in Jesus Christ, our Creator and Savior. To allow Reasons to Believe programs like this to continue, make your gift today at Reasons.org.